0: The other day, Aaron Berge told me he would never want any of his three daughters to be on The Bachelor. He wouldn't even want them to be The Bachelorette, either. It's an immediate
1: nope. Just because I'm an overprotective hover dad, really. I mean, it's my fault.
0: That's not a huge surprise. Most dads probably aren't like, you know what would be a great way to find the love of your life? Going on national TV where me, your mom, your friends, and co-workers can watch you date and even go into the fantasy suite. Yeah, no. But it is sort of funny that Aaron feels that way, of all people, because he was The Bachelor. Now Aaron's 46 and married, but back in 2002, he was very single. And the second bachelor in the franchise's history.
1: But They used to run like a blooper reel after certain episodes. And one of the blooper reels was all of the outtakes with me, like, propositioning the girls to get in a hot tub.
0: Slightly awkward looking back on it now especially since we all know what The Bachelor entails. It's a hookup show. Sure, it doesn't show too much, but at the end of the day, the lead is dating 25 people. You're going on these ridiculously romantic dates, you're making out, you're bearing your soul, you're sticking your foot in your mouth. And it's all on air for all of America to see. But back then, Aaron didn't know what was in store. He was following in the footsteps of the first bachelor, Alex Michelle. And Aaron actually didn't watch that season. He had heard about it at work. It was water cooler conversation at the bank he worked at in Missouri. But one day, the tellers at the bank started to get a little glimmer in their eye. After every season, ABC not only asked for applications, but also for nominations.
1: And I came back from lunch one day and had a voice message from ABC just saying, hey, uh, thank you for applying for The you know the Bachelor and out yada, yada. Please go take five minutes of time and, and make a video of yourself. We were using VHS back then, too. And send the tape in and we'll, uh, we'll go from there. And so I thought, well, that's pretty funny. And the, it, the joke was on me. The tellers at the bank that was hilarious that they applied. Their bosses to settle down kind of a thing.
0: Back then, Aaron was a 28-year-old banker from Springfield, Missouri. He was young, single, had that Midwestern blonde, hunky vibe. Like, he has an MBA, but also seems like he could chop some wood for you. Originally, the whole thing seemed out there. Go on a reality show? But then he was like, when else in my life will I be able to do
1: this? Um, I thought, well, why not not check this out? This is an opportunity um, for at least an adventure. I'd never been uh, to L.A., so I just, curiosity, more than anything, in the beginning.
0: (laughs) An adventure indeed. So after ABC got the tape, they asked him to get on a plane and fly out to L.A. with seven other finalists. And they put him through the ringer. You know the deal by now. Small hotel room, bright lights. It's like an interrogation on criminal minds. I mean, they're probably also trying to figure out if you're a serial killer, but for entertainment purposes. A shrink gives him a psych test, and then ABC Casting asks him to do something kind of weird.
1: They would try to throw you off guard, so they, they would ask you to dance in front of the camera. Like, well, let's see, you know, see what kind of moves you have. Let's... Okay, um, take your shirt off, you know, do this, do that.
0: Wait, I need to hear more about this dance.
1: You grab one leg and you dance, you hop on the other leg, but I don't think there's a name for it. Um, It was, yeah, it was Goofy.
0: I get it. I mean, if he can ham it up for them, maybe he'll ham it up for millions of viewers. But Aaron wasn't a shoo-in. He says he got the feeling that the ABC folks just weren't all that into him, but the creator, Mike Fleiss, was. He wanted someone a bit more down-to-earth. Season 1's Alex Michelle was a Harvard grad. He had the dark, slicked-back hair, very JFK Jr. vibes. Aaron was from the Midwest. He was athletic. Kind of Paul Walkery. He was relatable. Aaron didn't leave those interviews confident, though. He even witnessed fights between Mike Fleiss and the casting folks over what they even wanted.
1: I thought, well, this isn't going to go anywhere because they're yelling back and forth about who they want, who they don't want, and and obviously I'm not the guy.
0: But three weeks later, he gets a call from Mike Fleiss himself, who told him, congratulations, you are the next Bachelor. Viewers were hooked from the start. 18 million people tuned into Alex Michelle's finale. For context, season 24 with Peter Weber got $8.5 million, which is still a lot now because TV has changed. The flirting, the backstabbing, the tears, it's all must-see TV. But 18 years later, it's a show that feels weirdly old-fashioned. So why in 2021 are we still watching The Bachelor and Bachelorette, even though it's so white? When they- say say that love they don't it's the opposite of feminist
2: like her body is her temple and to expose it to anyone who isn't her husband that was that was a slap in my face
0: and so sis
2: when you go home you think i can't
1: find you you think i won't go out of my way to come to your house i'm dead serious you think i'm scared of you i think you should be
0: I'm your host, Mariah Smith, and this is Spectacle Episode 4, The Bachelor Bachelorette, Our Problematic Faith. Let's take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsors.
3: Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise. The island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to
0: podcasts.
2: Welcome to True Spies.
0: Each season starts with an all-nighter. Well, almost an all-nighter. We all have it memorized by now. One by one, limos pull up to the estate, which is this enormous Mediterranean villa in the Santa Monica Mountains. There's romantic lighting, beautiful trees, and something I always notice is the pavement is wet. And I'm like, why is it wet? We Googled it, and apparently Chris Harrison says it looks pretty on TV still very confusing since there's so many contestants producers help them stand out they do campy stuff they wear shark costumes or ride in on a camel anything to make their introduction more eventful than hey i'm so and so see you inside in Aaron season there's 2 dozen contestants that first night and they start when it's dark at around 9 p.m. the whole production takes hours and then after that's done he still has to mingle and get to know the ladies, because he has to eliminate eleven women that night.
1: Midnight to one a.m. You guys are gonna mingle, and then we're gonna have the rose ceremony at you know like two thirty a.m. at the latest. And I remember having conversations in the backyard with, you know, I was bouncing around like a pinball, trying to make the most of the time that I had to get to try and know everybody in a rather expeditious time frame.
0: And remember, the show only had one previous season, a season Aaron didn't even watch, so he basically had no clue what was coming.
1: I just remember one of the um, one of the producers or, or the, the gentleman in charge of the camera at least running over to me and said, "Hey, we didn't catch that last conversation, and we really would like to have that on film. Can you guys redo that again?" And I, I, I said, "I no, I don't think we can redo that again. I mean, we're just." Here to get to know one another.
0: Aaron was so charmingly naive, but in the beginning, he was allowed to be.
1: So it was back then, Mr. Price was very involved, and I don't know if he still is or not, but you know, so then it's talking with the control room in the house say, okay, hey, you guys need to be able to have your cameraman on on the spot. They can't be, this is not acting. They're not going to be redoing scenes, and so to speak. And so that was something that sticks out. It was just a learning curve for everybody.
0: Let's sit with that for a second. It's interesting to think that Mike Fleiss, the creator of the show, defended Aaron and kind of went against the producers. Because at the end of the day, the producers have to make a show. They can't just tell Aaron and the ladies to have fun and hope it works out. They need to make sure they get everything they need and on tape. Nowadays, reenacting scenes is kind of par for the course with reality TV. But again, it's season two, so it's possible production was still working out the kinks, figuring out how hands-on they needed to be. And it also could have been a little political. Like, don't push Aaron so hard right out of the gate— We need him on our side. And Aaron started to get the hang of things, that this was a TV show, and he needed to work with the producers.
1: You know, you would go on dates, and you would interview after those dates and talk about what had happened. And there was one day, one of the producers came to me and said, hey, we have lost an entire thing of film. We can't find it. From these dates and all these interviews, we can't find it anywhere. So on that day that you have off, here's what we're going to do. We have all the outfits that you wore in those days. (laughs) And we're going to have you go through and we're going to remind you of of what the date was and who it was with. And we need you to answer all those questions again. It took all day.
0: Okay, some things on the show are clearly staged. But Aaron said he felt genuine connections with the women on his season. Sure, the setup is weird, but he wasn't faking. Truth is, The Bachelor makes it hard not to fall in love.
1: You're in a hot air balloon, you're on a train. We were doing things that you wouldn't normally have an opportunity to do. So that element obviously adds romance and beauty and really gets everybody's dreams going that direction.
0: Producers can't wait around for sparks to fly. They have to create the sparks. Because the clock is ticking. Aaron's gotta be engaged by the end of the season so they have to speed up the dating process. Like, usually maybe you wait a few months to introduce your boyfriend to mom and dad. But in the world of The Bachelor, you better be ready to send him on a flight back to Nebraska three weeks in to meet Grams. Aaron says producers never told him what to say or what to do, but they definitely gave him hints.
1: You know, they knew a lot more about The Bachelors than I did. And so if they knew certain things about somebody, you know, in the typical dating situation it's going to take a while before you peel off the layers of the onion you could know somebody but so they would, they would suggest hey why don't you ask this about that because there's something that happened in her past
0: all of this sounds super familiar to jennifer Sheft
3: waterman you might know me as just as jen shaft and i was on the bachelor the third bachelor ever and then i was on the third bachelorette so that's where people know me from
0: Jen was on the third season of The Bachelor, given the final rose by Andrew Firestone, and shortly after they broke up, ABC chose her as the third Bachelorette. And from the start, she felt a give-and-take relationship with the producers. Give them what they need, and you'll get something in return. She was no pawn. She remembers bartering with them for alone time with Andrew in the fantasy suite. Alone time, off-camera.
3: It was sort of like, if you maybe kiss each other for a little bit and give us, the, you know, the, the shot that we want, and then we'll get out of your hair. I was like, all right, let's, let's get you guys out of here because I just want to be with him, not everybody, and see if I can get a read on him and what he's thinking, like, off camera.
0: You would think being the lead, The Bachelorette, would be better. You are in a power position. You get your pick. You're not competing against 25 other women in a weird sister wives scenario but Jen actually liked being a contestant more. When I did The Bachelorette, all the
3: pressure is on me to make a good show and to fall in love and to, you know, find things to talk about with every different guy. Dating multiple people at once didn't come naturally. It felt weird. So for me, it was hard to pretend that I was, like, interested in all these people when,
0: you know, I didn't necessarily feel that. Jen did develop feelings for a couple of the guys. One in particular stood out, Jerry. He was a 29-year-old art gallery director from Los Angeles. During their whirlwind weeks together, they went to Cape Cod and Bermuda. They danced to a private band under the stars. Jen felt a spark with Jerry, but she wasn't gunning to marry him. The producers did not like that. They tried to convince her she was making a big mistake. They were like, if you
3: look cold, like, people are invested in you, they want you to find someone if, you know, maybe you need to be less shallow, maybe you, you know, I mean, they definitely, they didn't tell me what to do, but they tried to beat me down and tried to make me feel like I was just gonna be looked at as like the worst person out there. Um, So if you don't choose someone,
0: that's what's gonna come across. And I don't think that's what you want, right, Jen? Keep in mind, The Bachelorette is made in total seclusion. Jen's not allowed to talk to friends or family. You know, the people you normally bounce big ideas off of, like marriage. She was around producers all day. She confided in them, talked to them like friends, but they were not her friends. They were making a show. A competition show that is orchestrated to end in two people getting engaged. By not wanting to choose anyone, Jen was
3: blowing it all up. But I really feel like they thought I was going to end the show because the show is about finding a love connection and I didn't find it. So that was really bad, really bad for the show. So she gave in. I didn't want to be with anybody on that final show, but I was like, okay, I'll pick Jerry.
0: Jen chose Jerry, but they didn't get engaged in the final rose ceremony. It was more of a commitment to continuing their love story outside of the show. But after the finale, ABC aired after the final Rose special, where Chris Harrison brought the couple back to dish on the season. And Jerry got down on one knee and proposed to Jen. Jen said no. As you can guess, the world imploded. I was called, like,
3: spinster of the week, or then, like, old maid of the week, or, people... Like Elizabeth Hasselbeck on The View, saying that I was going to be a bachelorette for the rest of my life.
0: It all sounds pretty sexist. To be fair, the tabloids weren't nice to Aaron either. They accused him of being a serial fiancé. He remembers getting accosted by a mother and daughter at the doctor's office. They were angry that he broke up with his final pick, Helene.
1: And I just threw my hand out and just said, hi, I'm... Aaron. I don't think we've ever actually met. And just doing that was enough for them to be like, oh my gosh, we were so sorry. We don't even know you.
0: That's what you get when you sign up to be The Bachelor. Strangers calling you out, questioning your choices. But what about questioning the show? Like how it puts marriage on a pedestal. The ultimate prize for any worthy woman or why it allowed a white supremacist to be cast for the franchise's first black bachelorette. And why does it perpetuate this idea that wanting sex makes you a slut? We'll get into all of that after the break. The Bachelor is heading into its 25th season, and The Bachelorette recently had its 16th bachelorette. Well, bachelorettes. Expecting somebody else? The rumors are true. Taysha is your new bachelorette, Tuesday on ABC. But we won't get into that now. And over the years, the show has evolved. The women and men who compete know what they're getting themselves into they have hundreds of hours of tape they can study ahead of time. And with social media, there's a sort of career path for these contestants that didn't exist in the early odds A way to leverage this fame by promoting your business or becoming an influencer, or both. The show's framing around the ideal man and woman has changed, too. In a weird way, it's gone backwards. With Alex Michelle's season, he was well-educated and had a good career and they picked equally ambitious and savvy women. Their education level is emphasized. They're
3: beautiful, of course, and they're professional cheerleaders, but also, you know, these
0: women have graduate degrees. That's Claire Fallon. She's the co-host of the Huff Post podcast, here to make friends, where she and her co-host Emma Gray discuss all things Bachelor Nation.
3: And now, as it's turned into this soap opera, it's evolved more and more toward um, just someone very good-looking who comes off well on
0: camera. In the beginning, we were calling these men and women catches because they were beautiful, had great jobs, and were smart. But being the whole package doesn't make for good TV. If we're being completely honest, the patriarchy is as much a part of The Bachelor as the rose ceremony. It's an integral part of the show's DNA. It's long promoted that marriage is the ultimate prize for any woman. Today I've just
4: been really nervous. I felt like I had a great date with Juan Pablo in my hometown, but my whole family was kind of hard on him. So coming in tonight, I have no idea how Juan Pablo really felt.
0: Women wait nervously for those roses. Andy, we just
2: said this rose.
0: But there are other reasons that the show has gone from promoting smarts to focusing on the superficial. The show caters to the male gaze, and straight white men in particular. And we're still waiting on an openly queer bachelor or bachelorette. But we know at least one came out against it. The one and only Juan Pablo.
1: Do you think it would be a good idea at some point to have a gay or bisexual bachelor? No. Why not?
0: Just because I
2: respect them, but um, honestly, I don't think it's a good example for kids to watch that on TV. It's hard. It's hard. It's a very thin line.
0: The show doesn't even try to reflect reality. Instead, The Bachelor constructs an alternate reality, one that avoids any real discussion of sexuality, especially when it comes to the bedroom. In the early seasons of The Bachelor, people were surprisingly open about sex. It was refreshing. They even had sex outside the fantasy suite, something that raises eyebrows now. Physical intimacy was treated like a given. Like, hey, we're adults and we might get married, so let's see if the physical chemistry is there. But over the years, the show has cast more evangelical Christians, and as they brought on more conservative and religious contestants, sex was taboo. You also got a lot of talk about traditional values, which all felt very 1950s. You see this in Sean Lowe's season.
4: So Sean Lowe was the 17th Bachelor. He was a runner-up on Emily Maynard's season
0: of The Bachelorette. That's my producer, Joanna. Right. He's this very uh, corn-fed looking guy, like super blonde, muscular, really into his family.
4: Yes, And it's probably worth noting he's also an evangelical Christian.
0: Yeah, it becomes kind of a known thing that there will be no sex on the show.
4: Yeah, so you assume when it comes time for the fantasy suites, it might be a little awkward. He tells the final three women that he's using that time to just get to know them one-on-one, which isn't crazy. I mean, that's valuable time that they get together. But it's also kind of hinting that he might go into an engagement without being physically intimate with his partner.
0: You know, ironically, Sean is one of the few success stories of the show, though, because he picks Catherine, who I love. She is so adorable. She's half Filipino and a graphic designer, super bubbly, super goofy, and they get married.
4: Yeah, and they end up saving themselves for their wedding night and being very open about it, which the tabloids obviously love.
0: I remember them calling him the virgin bachelor, even though that's not quite right because he wasn't technically a virgin. He just decided to be celibate.
4: And so their relationship got a lot of attention for that. But when I watch back these episodes from his season, what actually stands out to me is Catherine's behavior, like how she frames what it means to be physical on the show.
0: Yeah, we have a clip.
4: So just to set it up, it's Catherine and Sean on one of their final dates before hometowns. They're in Thailand at a romantic dinner and he's giving her the key to the fantasy suite. It made me really, really nervous to think about any of that kind of stuff because I wanted to make sure that I was still seen as like a lady and seen as somebody that wasn't like that. Yeah. But I've realized that it has nothing to do with that. It has something to do with time with you.
0: That's such a bummer to hear. You know, the whole be a lady thing feels so coded. Like, my family is watching this, or America is watching, and I don't want to be judged and called a slut.
4: Yeah, or just seen as a woman who takes pleasure in sex. And I think it speaks to the growing consciousness on the show. Like, women go on now, and they know that they will be judged for how they act.
0: You know, this reminds me of Hannah Brown's season. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hannah was a Bachelor contestant on Colton's season, and then she ends up getting chosen to be the 15th Bachelorette.
4: And there's a super memorable moment in her season
0: around sex. Oh my God, right. So Hannah is a woman of faith, and Luke P., one of the remaining guys, sits her down and basically tells her not to have sex with the other guys or he'll leave and kind of questions her standing as a quote-unquote good Christian.
2: Like, I totally have all the trust in the world for you. But at the same time, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. Like, if I, I mean, if I, if you told me you're having sex or you had sex with one or multiple of these guys, I'd be wanting to go home.
0: Hannah is pissed. She's like, how dare you tell me what to do and then have the audacity to threaten me with leaving? She's like, you want to go? There's the door. Yeah, she walks him to the black SUV, which if you've watched The Bachelor
4: Bachelorette, you know those black SUVs. And it's waiting for him to get in and go. It's raining and he will not leave. He is making a last ditch effort
0: to stay. And the way she says goodbye, oh, you cannot forget it.
5: So like, I have had sex. Say what? Yeah. And Jesus still loves me.
0: I feel like Hannah's season was a watershed moment for the show. She was a woman of faith, but she'd call out BS when she saw it. She exposed the shame the show had around sex. The only chance they really get is the fantasy suite, literally days before the engagement. It normalizes this idea that sex should be saved, that it's sacred. But for the majority of Americans, premarital sex is the norm. This slut-shaming reminds me of sex ed in the 90s, like abstinence except for your husband. For 2021, the whole charade is kind of tone-deaf. It's like the mansion is frozen in time from a gender perspective, and when it comes to race. For much of its run, the franchise has been pretty homogenous, white, conservative, and for a while, evangelical. It's kind of a running joke that people of color on the show don't make it far. Just like horror movies, they're killed off fast. Back in 2016, Splinter News reported a Black contestant never made it past five weeks on The Bachelor or Bachelorette, and that 59% were kicked off in the first two weeks. It took 15 years before the franchise cast a Black lead.
4: Yes, our new bachelorette is Rachel Lindsay, making her the first black bachelor or bachelorette in franchise history.
1: This is a bit of a spoiler, because you're still on the show.
4: Yes, it is, but you know, we're a couple of weeks out for filming. We're ready to get this started. I'm ready to find love, find a husband, so.
0: Rachel ticked every box. She was an attorney, came from a great family, and she's gorgeous different from the other bachelorettes we were used to seeing, who were played up for their worthiness as wives, but whose careers and interests definitely took a back seat, at least in the producers' eyes.
5: I think it's absolutely accurate to say that Rachel needed to clear so many hurdles in order to be considered perfect enough to be the first Black woman cast as a lead on a bachelor's show.
0: That's Emma Gray. She co-hosts Here to Make Friends.
5: Women of color on this show are certainly held to a higher standard than white women are, 100%. With
0: that season, it felt like diversity was a box they checked for the lead. But it was clear behind the scenes was not led by people of color. Especially
5: when a white supremacist made it on the show. When you have a bunch of white people making a show and then they're like, yeah, diversity, representation's great. We just, like, put this Black woman in our show, cast a few more Black men than we normally would, but we have to talk about race. So, hey, maybe we can talk about race by, like, traumatizing this woman and putting a racist in front of her to date her.
0: Emma thinks having Black producers would likely make a difference.
5: There would have been... No way that someone like Lee would have been cast. Someone who is openly comparing the NAACP to a you know to the KKK in a terror organization. He was almost like a comical stereotype of what an ignorant white dude racist was. Um, and to put their lead, who they're supposed to be protecting, in a position to date someone who very clearly holds incredibly upsetting and denigrating opinions about people that look like her is, like, absolutely not okay.
0: The lack of diversity on the production side is the
5: show's Achilles heel. We know that, you know, from casting producers to editors to field producers to story editors, there have been very few staffers of color. And I think, to my knowledge, maybe one field producer that is Black and one casting producer that is Black. And I believe neither of those people are with the show uh, anymore.
0: A few years before Rachel's season, a couple Black football players sued the show, saying they weren't even given the chance to audition. The courts ultimately sided with the show, saying the First Amendment gives them the right to pick whoever they want for the show. Rachel Lindsay even called out the franchise, putting a petition together demanding the show cast another black lead.
4: I know that that franchise has the power to do whatever they want, including having a lead of color. And it's time to stop making excuses.
0: In the summer of 2020, everything changed. The U.S. was seeing racial unrest that brought us back to the race riots of the late 1960s. No Millions took to the streets to proclaim that Black lives matter all across the country. Initially, I wasn't holding my breath for ABC to start airing conversations around being Black. But in season 16, when Taysha, a biracial woman, suddenly became the Bachelorette, things changed. Tonight, I have a really important date with Ivan. A date like this is really special to me.
3: It's comfortable and it's fun and it's in my place. Like this to me is a Friday night we would have if we were together.
0: He's Filipino and black, and she's half black and half Mexican. They end up comparing skin tones. Mm
3: -hmm. There aren't many people like Ivan and I where I grew up.
0: And so I haven't really had a man my age that's also of mixed descent to relate to. And Ivan ends up talking about what's happening out in the world, outside of the bubble of The Bachelorette. He tells her about his brother who went to prison.
2: You know, especially with like George Floyd, um, and that's like police brutality, and that's something that like really hit home for me. You can only imagine how much wilder it could be in prison, right? Absolutely. And like my brother used to tell me stories about how these COs, correctional officers, like literally like beat him up. like. And I felt so bad because my first question was, like, well, Gabe, like, what did you do?
0: And ABC could have turned this to sound bites, but they let the conversation breathe. Yeah, I guess, like,
2: how has, like, the events of the world affected you today?
3: I don't know. Just, like, the way that the world is right now, it's just, it's a lot. Yeah. And, um, It's just overwhelming, and sometimes I feel like it affects me more than
2: you even know. Sometimes, yeah. Um, you're good. I'm sorry. You're
0: good. You're good. I'm
2: here.
0: She starts crying. She can't find the words.
2: Yeah. It's so tough. I get it
3: but it just, like, affects me, like, really. Like, I don't
6: know why it does so much,
2: but, like, it hurts a lot. Being Black, especially in this climate, like, there were things she's struggling with internally that I could tell she's really hesitant to say. And I want Tasha to trust and feel comfortable to be able to share um, whatever she has gone through in her life.
0: I'm going to be honest. I did not see that coming. It was surprising to see after this many seasons and while it was refreshing, I wanted more. It wasn't deep. You know, Tasha struggles to find the words. Ivan is really carrying the conversation. And I'm not alone in feeling this way. Kristen Warner wasn't all that impressed by it either. Tasha didn't have a lot to say.
6: Like She almost was like an autobot. Like, I've thought about her, like, glitching. And that might have been one of the times where she kind of glitched. Because I don't think she really had anything to say.
0: Kristen is an associate professor at the University of Alabama and wrote a book on colorblind casting. She watches The Bachelor and teaches it in her classes.
6: So when they had the conversation, for example, about her um, growing up in Orange County and not really seeing a whole lot of people around her that looked like her, it seemed like her parents weren't trying to put her around any kids that looked like her. And so she got very comfortable not being around them.
0: I can't speak to what was happening in Tayshia's head at the moment. I would have loved to hear her own experience as a biracial woman, though. I wanted to see her open up the way Ivan did. But as Kristen points out, maybe Tayshia doesn't have a lot to draw from. And also, let's be fair, Tayshia shouldn't have to be perfect. But it does make you wonder about ABC's choice in casting her.
6: There is so little about her that is culturally specific. I mean, there isn't anything really. You know, her identity is Orange County. Outside of her skin tone, if that is what diversity means to them, then they've succeeded. And, and they figured out the formula to where all the bachelorettes can essentially be the same.
0: In 2020, we also learned that ABC would get its first Black bachelor, Matt James. Matt is a 28 year old Black former pro football player from New York City. Bachelorette fans might recognize
6: him from Tyler Cameron's Instagram. They're BFFs. I think um, Matt James also has to walk this very fine line. And I'm actually much more nervous for him uh, than I was for Rachel. He has to be at once charming and also non-threatening. He has to be someone who wears his salmon blazer, you know, is has charisma and grace. But also, I imagine, has to um, not... Over sexualize himself in the same way. At the time of producing this episode, we're in the early
0: weeks of Matt's season. And it's a diverse cast, something he pushed for. Here he is on GMA.
1: Uh, You know, fortunate for me, I'm looking for qualities that a lot uh, that my mom embodies, and that's selfless, uh, honest, caring, compassionate. And um, those are qualities found in women, all shapes, sizes, and races, and it's not a black or white thing. So I'm hoping that when that limo pulls up, there's a lot of diversity, and, and I see every type of woman coming out of that limo.
0: I'm happy to see more black and brown women on the show. Still, they've got a lot of work to do when it comes to the body inclusivity thing, in my opinion. But going forward, I hope we see some black and brown women in the final three. And not just on Matt's season. Why can't more women of color make it past hometowns on any season? I'm not saying it doesn't happen. Most recently, you had Taysha on Colton's season. But how many times is the final three all white women? Look, maybe the show will build on the conversations Taysha had. And not just talk about the hard stuff. I'd like to see people of color get to talk about
6: the good stuff, too. It's not just talking about, like, the, the weight of Blackness in terms of being in the world and police oppression and brutality and, and all those things. It's also the fun of Black joy. What things won't they get to talk about? What, you know, Black cult movies, will they not get to have conversations about that or that we won't see?
0: What's fascinating is The Bachelor isn't just a problematic fave. It fails to deliver on its most basic premise— Most people don't end up tying the knot. Plenty of couples aren't even together by the time the finale airs.
1: Colton Underwood and Cassie Randolph break up after less than two years together. The Bachelor couple who found love on the show's 23rd season are officially calling it quits.
0: We all know this. You could literally have seen one episode and you know this. But data scientist Alice Zhao crunched the numbers a few years back and found... Out of the couples that got engaged, 30% of the Bachelorettes tied the knot, and only 11% of the Bachelors did. And when The Bachelor or Bachelorettes break the conventions of the show, ABC uses it to its advantage. It seems like every season is promised to be the most shocking season ever, whether it's Colton escaping and jumping the wall in Portugal, or Claire leaving The Bachelorette on week three. It's like the rules were meant to be broken. But still, why the hell do we watch this show? To put it simply, we feel superior to the dupes on it.
6: Kristen notices this when she plays it for students for the first time. They will start watching, and they'll all think that they know what's happening, and they all think that they're better than this show. They all think, you know, they're so much more savvy than the show is, and they all think that they're so much smarter than the construction. Before you know it, her naysaying students are totally sucked in. And as soon as I press stop at 46 minutes, they cry, oh no, can you just keep it keep it going? And that is the answer. I think. That there is something about the way that this show works, both on the level of whatever fantasy it is, but also this level of meta, this knowing that as viewers, we feel like we're so much smarter than people on reality TV. We feel like these women, they must be desperate. And these men, like the way that they frame them as like these all-American, you know, good old boys who like throw the football and The Bachelor allows you to watch and imagine yourself as this superior spot. And so it's really very clever of them, and it feels really good to judge them. It does feel good.
0: I watch it with my sister sometimes, and we're just laughing at the ridiculousness of it all. Like, we're in an alternate universe. Like, is The Bachelor fantasy basically a 1950s sitcom? The white picket fence, two and a half kids, honey, I'm home energy. And by bachelor fantasy, I mean we all know whose fantasy it is, white dudes. You know, in many ways, we are in an alternate universe. Sure, it got its first black lead in Rachel Lindsay and that's great, I love her. But even now, a black woman has never received the final rose, she's never been chosen. And as a Black person, that's a powerful and depressing message. But just like Kristen's students, I'm sucked in, season after season. I wish I could give a good answer as to why I watch the show, something that ties this episode up in a bow. But I don't really have one. I'm used to not being seen or portrayed on TV, so why should I hold a reality TV show to a higher standard? because it's reality? Most of us don't have two dozen people breaking down our door, asking us to get married after a few dates. But it's thrilling to be a fly on the wall for this romance that seems so insanely out of reach. So if The Bachelor and Bachelorette are this fantasy about finding the one and getting the ring, it makes you wonder, what happens when you settle down with the man of your dreams? Maybe you become a housewife, a real housewife.
5: If you marry a count, you become a countess, which, you know, there's a whole prince, princess, duke, duchess, it's kind of this echelon of the aristocracy. So when I married Alex, I became a countess. ta
0: That's next time on Spectacle. Spectacle is a production of Neon Hum Media. The show is hosted and co-produced by yours truly. Lead producer Joanna Clay reported and wrote this episode. Jonathan Hirsch and Shara Morris are our executive producers. It was edited by Katherine St. Louis. Our associate producer is Chloe Chobel. Our engineer is Scott Somerville. Thanks to Andrew Epen for his original music. Laura Bullard is our fact checker. And special thanks to Raquel Gates, Crystal Genesis, Vikram Patel, and Shauna Shiro. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at spectacle underscore pod. I'm Mariah Smith. See you next week.